Because no race has the last word on culture and on civilization. They do not know what we are capable of. They do not know what we are thinking. They are thinking in terms of dreadnoughts, battleships, aeroplanes, submarines. You know what we are thinking about? That is our own private business. You are listening to The Brown CEO. You are listening to The Brown CEO. I'm your host, Selma Idris. Follow the conversation every week as I speak to some of the dopest minds from around the planet about what's broken and how we're going to fix it. This is The Conversation Between Us, every Tuesday. Yalla, let's go. Hello and welcome to The Brown CEO. I am your host, Selma Idris. Telling our stories from our own diverse perspectives, more of us making, including more of us, seeing more of ourselves, seeing more of each other. It is all fundamental to our mental health and the development of a stronger, connected, and more powerful community. On the agenda today is a conversation with award-winning playwright, poet, and filmmaker, Danye R. Love. I invited Danye here today to discuss his recent work, The Love Plays, a trilogy exploring queer love during three pivotal moments in Black history, and to start a dialogue on our platform around seeing each other and connecting with each other. Hi, Danye. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. There are a few things, actually, I want to talk to you about um, today, but I want to start talking about your latest works, your trilogy. Yes. Um, And right now you are working on, well, you've released... We, we've seen the first play and the second play. Yes. And the third play is coming out. And can you tell us a little bit about that trilogy? Uh, so the trilogy, The Love Plays, is uh, uh, three plays that focus on queer love during pivotal moments in black history. So the first play, Sugar Our Wounds, uh, follows uh, two enslaved men who fall in love during the Civil War. Uh, the second play... Fireflies uh, follows um, a black woman and her husband who is a face of a movement, a la the civil rights movement. Um, and we start to realize that uh, she is actually the force behind the movement, um, opposed to who the world thinks um, her husband is. And then we also start to see um, deeper into her life, uh, her love, how she truly identifies um, and what her truth is in terms of um, her queerness. And the third and final play in the trilogy, uh, which is called In the Middle, uh, follows a mother who lost her son uh, to uh, police violence. And we learn throughout the play um, that her son uh, was queer and how that complicates uh, the movement. Um, Because oftentimes I just felt like within the Black Lives Matter movement there, it felt like people always uh, went out and uh, would protest and rally for cisgendered uh, black men. But as it related to whenever queerness was involved, um, transness was involved, um, or just womanhood, um, it always felt like there was a lack of uh, individuals protesting. Um, And so I just started to think about like all of these things and just blackness and queerness during these essential moments in black history. And for me, it it became wanting to to write myself, wanting to write my husband, wanting to write um, my friends, um, my good Judy's, 
into history? And like, what does that look like? What does that mean for us to be included into the conversation that we've always been a part of? Mm-hmm. And that's interesting when you're saying it's always been a part of because mm-hmm. you you don't think about it. It's yeah, I existed, and that's so Not important. And I mean, that's what we're fighting for um, for diversity in mm-hmm. in all storytelling, whether it be Hollywood, whether it be Broadway, theater. Mm-hmm. Um, for us to be included, to be able to hear those voices, to see those perspectives, and for people to be able to understand that this is a person who exists, mm-hmm. who has a story, who has a tale to tell. A whole live human being, right, who has a soul, um, who deserves to be included in the conversation. And so I, when I started to write um, Sugar in Our Wounds, the first play, the amount of research I did, I was blown away when I would find and just like discover things. Uh, one thing that had just set with me throughout is, and this was another like, duh, Danye moment of like, why not? Like, why, why did you not know or think that this was a part of history? Um, during the Middle Passage, when our ancestors were brought over here, um, just thinking about how close we were in proximity on those ships and with being so close of course there were natural moments of intimacy between uh, same-sex individuals Mm -hmm. and like what was that like uh being able to uh exist and whether this was your truth or, or you just needed to be intimate with someone in this moment and like navigating that and like that was another moment of why did i not like, why did I not, why did I not think that? Yeah. Why did I not realize that that was also a part of uh, our history and us being able to love and us being able to exist? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did, when you decided, when you started writing the trilogy, did you know that you wanted to write our stories, your story in mm-hmm. three parts? Of- Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So how did you come about? Because that's a very interesting. Yeah. And so it started with Sugar and I just thought it would be a standalone piece. Okay. Um, and I want to say maybe. So if this was January of 2016, I started writing Sugar. And then fast forward to about May or June of 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my husband, he reads literally every single draft of everything that I write. God bless him. Um, God bless <laughs> him. Okay. He be showing off and showing out as it relates to that. So this was, like I said, maybe five to six months after writing Sugar. Um, he and I were walking to the grocery store. And like I literally stopped in my tracks. And I was like... I think Sugar is a part of a trilogy. And the, the, the market was about to close. So he's like, okay, come on. We feel like it's to this market now. Yeah, all right. Um, but I'm like, no, no, I think it's a part of a trilogy that explores queer love during pivotal moments in black history. And I actually don't remember if we made it to the market or not because, like, he got so excited. Yeah. Um, and, like, his, I was already just excited of thinking about it. And his excitement let me know that... Um, that this isn't just me now, right? Like this is a larger conversation for so many people to see themselves reflected. And so that summer, the summer of 2016, I was going on a retreat, uh, a writer's retreat, and I thought that the trilogy would write itself in like chronological order. But the third play was the play that was in me because this was the summer of 2016 when um, first... It was uh, Alton Sterling mm-hmm. that was killed by police. Then the very next day, Philando Castile. And 
this place said, I'm, I, I, I need to come out right now. Like, I need to come out. And, like, that was the best way for me to, like, get out my frustration, my rage, my sorrow, um, my everything that was inside of me. So I started to write uh, in the middle. And then we fast forward to a few months after that in October, I started to write the final play and uh, Fireflies. And what was so interesting about that is beforehand, I talked to my grandmom and my great grandmom mm -hmm. and just to hear what their stories were of like being black women growing up in the 60s, existing in the 60s on the civil rights movement. And normally I don't do that. I start the play first and then I do like interviews and research and conversations. So I say that to say uh, I talked to them first. And when I sat down to write Fireflies, it was the hardest play, um, one of the hardest plays to date that I've ever written because all I kept thinking about was my mom, mom and my Nana. Opposed mm -hmm. to thinking about Olivia and Charles, the two characters, I kept thinking about, okay, remember, my mom said this, Nana said that, you have to get this in there. You have to put that in there. And I had to get to a point, all due respect, love my mom and my <laughs> Nana. I had to be like, Danye, stop thinking about them right now. Think yeah. about Charles. Think about Olivia. And then you can come back. Do you wish you would have talked to them later? I do. Yeah. A hundred percent, because I, I I started to get trapped in my own head yeah. of, of course, wanting to like honor these women, mm -hmm. of wanting to make sure that their story, that their voices were heard. Um, but I realized with that, honoring the, the characters first and then coming back in and like filling those gaps, wherever those gaps were. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It but worked itself out. What what I liked also about the three plays is mm -hmm. that not only is it you know a pivotal moment in history, but it's also like a pivotal pivotal time within that pivotal moment. Mm -hmm. So like the first one is during it's like right at right before the Emancipation yes. Proclamation, right? Mm -hmm. So that that says a lot in itself there too, especially in the time that we're in right now with a lot of the legislation coming mm -hmm, up. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And then just thinking about hope, right? Yeah, and like. I and so before writing uh, Sugar, um, I told myself, you will never catch me writing a piece about slavery. I said, absolutely not. <laughs> um, I, I, I kept telling myself, like, we've had enough of that. I but then it. I also started to um, realize that I was operating from a space of privilege, thinking mm -hmm. that we've had too many stories about slavery. That was me operating from a space of privilege because there are still so many stories of our of our ancestors uh, that still deserve to be told. And so when I started to think about that, that's how sugar started to come to play because I didn't even think about my queer ancestors during that time. Um, and so as you were talking about it being surrounded during the Emancipation Proclamation, I started to wonder, like, what were, like, what, what was that moment like? What did that moment have to be like for our ancestors? Just just the idea, the possibility of freedom, right? Yeah. Um, and like how uh, we navigated and maneuvered during that time, right? Like was our walk different? Was our talk a bit different? Because we knew, we thought that freedom was just right over there. So I just started to think about those things. Wow. Yeah, and then the second one, which was the third one that you wrote, mm -hmm. right, Fireflies, mm -hmm. um, it was right around uh, the church bombing, right? The Yes. Yeah, and so... Yeah, it was, because I'm, I'm trying to, like, do, do timeline. But, yes, it was around that time. Um, 
And and I'm 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 pausing because I, I didn't even think about that. Oh. I didn't even think about that. Interesting. I thought that was actually intentional. Wow. No, I didn't think about that at all. I I I just found my I found myself constantly thinking about um just this mm-hmm. black woman um about to bear a child and thinking about uh back in nineteen sixty three and the four little girls. Mm-hmm. Um like that was what was in my mind uh, when I was writing the piece, but I actually didn't think about that at all. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, 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 and then also like, for I me, got all like, yes. And, and, but, but like, <laughs> that's that, one yeah. of the most beautiful things like about art is like, we bring our experiences, we bring our thoughts to it. Like all I do, and this is not me trying to like trivialize uh, mm-hmm. like my part in the equation. All I do is write the thing. And like, that's literally it. And then I just offer it and everyone else, I will hope, bring their experience to it. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, that's when it becomes like a theater piece like that, when it becomes a living, breathing thing, because now there are other souls, other experiences that are a part of it. So you saying that was like, wow, that wasn't even in my thought process at all. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm often wacky like that, I guess. <laughs> no, I love that. Ooh. And then the third one. um, the uh, which is the second one that you wrote, the mm-hmm. BLM, um, the Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter um, piece. That was you better also... have this timeline down packed. I know that's right. <laughs> Come through. <laughs> I honestly, Come I was fascinated. Through. I was uh-huh. really, I, I honestly, I was very honored to have been introduced to your work mm, um, you. through my friend Carice, and who's also a producer for the show. Shout out. And um, yup. <laughs> Come through. And um. No, I really was. I thought it was, I'm a theater major in college, mm. and I never went that route. And I saw you speak on an interview um, with the man who wrote Moonlight. Ah, uh, Terrell. Yeah, I don't remember what platform you guys were speaking on, but I saw uh-huh. it. And um, you were speaking about... Um, uh, one of you, or both of you had related to that. It was the same maybe woman who you had presented like an adaptation of a piece that Uh you had made. And that happened to me when I was in college. I still remember I adapted Tartuffe and I put it in Khartoum, Sudan. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it was Mm. very logical to me. Of course. Um, And it totally made sense. And there was nothing even like out of place that wouldn't have really existed there. Even Mm -hmm. like subtleties and whatever. And I loved Moyer. And my professors looked at me like dumbfounded, like, you idiot. Like, how could this possibly, and like down to like, I mean, the offensive, like, to like they, they, there's, a, there's a stairwell and how are you going to recreate a chandelier? Mm-hmm. And the kinds of things that they were saying, I was just like, oh my God. And I had that joint experience. I think that I didn't realize it till I heard you guys talk about it. Mm-hmm. And you were like, don't let it stop you. And I was like, wow, I think that rocked me out of theater. Wow. Like, I really think it did. And then I had such an appreciation and respect after that interview for your work because I was like, after that and half after having my same experience, even if it was worse and longer and whatever, you continued to persevere and tell this story that's not told. Mm-hmm. Like when you were talking about the slave story, you said it's a place of privilege that I speak of, that there's too many slave stories. Mm-hmm. You really look at it, there aren't any. Mm-hmm. You know, there aren't very many at all because they're not spoken from from the perspective of folks that cared about the people that were actually on the ship. A hundred percent. 
So the story we always get is to try to clean it up or try to present it in a certain way. But no, we have to explore how we walked, how we talked. Mm-hmm. Um, like the fullness of ourselves, right? And so many uh, stories, um, even 2019, um, have white saviors in it, right? Mm-hmm. So like that lets you know the perspective, that lets you know who's the forces behind it, um, even if we've written it. Um, because I'm, I've, I've, I've been having like a lot of conversations um, in terms of like Hollywood and just like the industry. And we will be able to elicit the most change mm-hmm. um, by also being the ones who have the economic status to be able to create our stories as well, right? Yes, we do need writers. We do need directors. We do need actors. We do need designers. Uh, but we also need producers yep. as well. We also, layers to this shit. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we also need theater critics yeah. because um, one thing that really hurt me was a review that I got for, um, for Sugar. And it was so entitled. It was so privileged. Um, it was a white woman from the New York Times. And like the thing that she had to say about like craft and structure and like all of those things, I can find myself understanding that and believing that. Um, but it was just <laughs> the overall tone in which she was coming from as if she had every right, that she had a privilege um, to be included in the conversation of of the story. And she, she literally told me, um, at the end of the review that, um, if I'm lucky, all I'll get is a few tears from people from, from this play. Exactly. Right. And it just, it it really made me, um, live it. And also made me really sad. It made me sad because we are not included in so many of the conversations, right? And that's what I mean in terms of us being included as producers, us being mm-hmm. included as uh, critics as well. I, I wouldn't have had a problem if these publications uh, were to have uh, black and brown critics, mm-hmm. trans critics, uh, disabled um, critics, and if they still would have sent a white person my way, because at least I know that you have a plethora of individuals. Um, so, like, we, we need to be included in so many of the conversations, so many of the conversations. And, like, I, I just wonder, you talked about your story of what I imagine to be a beautiful, necessary piece that you created. And then your professors, I'm assuming, probably didn't look like you, mm-hmm. um, not understanding your perspective. And, like, we need to have professors who look like us as well on so many different levels um and like that's the thing that like I try to fight for like even to the point my my husband like Daniel, are you sure you want to write that piece are you sure you want to like do this post um because you might be kind of like blacklisted I'm like but the thing is people need to understand that this is not right yeah. People need to understand that there is so much fullness um, to what it is that we do and how we need to be included in a part of the conversation, that if that means that this will happen to me, so be it. But it's my hope that later on down the line, it will make something different for at least one person, if not more. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I thought well, I just went on a little tangent. I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. That was brilliant. That was fantastic. One thing that you did mention when you were talking was uh, the white woman critic. Um, Lord. and <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can say, Lord. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, 
I also am a fan of the posts and uh, the YouTube posts that you've also made in regards to radical softness. Mm, mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk to you about that because the one thing that I agree with very much so on, on what you were talking about that when you when you mentioned it on your webisode was that uh, white women are the only people with the privilege. Mm -hmm. to really display and exhibit radical softness. Mm -hmm. So I wanted you to help our listeners out and explain that, mm -hmm. what radical softness is, what it means, and I'd love to get into a conversation with you yes, about that. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and so for a few years, I just started to uh, define how I felt and just how I navigated the world as just soft. Um, and it was... I want to say maybe 2016, um, I came across, um, the name is Laura Mathis, uh, gender nonconforming activist and uh, author in Southern California. And they, they gave me like actual language of uh, radical softness. And radical softness very much is uh, the act, the revolutionary act of being able to exist fully in your emotions. Um, and not having to censor how you feel and not being able uh, to censor how you think and how you want to exist in the world and displaying your emotions. And uh, taking a step further, a friend of mine, um, an amazing playwright, Erica Dickerson Dispenza, um, she talked about how, yes, the only individuals um, more so who are allotted the privilege to exist in their softness, to exist and just having emotions are white women's uh, because we often think that emotions um, are feminine. We often think that emotions are passive. Um, and so that aligns oftentimes with white women. Um, and so I just found myself really thinking deeply on that and heavily on that. And as much as I possibly can, saying that I'm soft. Um, and understanding what softness means. I'm uh, working on a play right now um, of mine is actually called Soft, and it explores what it means um, to just exist in your emotions as a black or brown man. And the play is eight characters, um, all black and brown, intergenerational. And we were in the rehearsal room, and there was a beautiful soft moment between two of uh, the actors, not the characters in the play, but but the actors. At the top of uh, the day, we were just going around because this was the first day introducing ourselves. And one of the guys, he had on like a, a, a shirt that had a collar and the collar was looking a little crazy. Mm -hmm. And so the guy next to him, they didn't know each other. This was their first day meeting each other. Um, and he just went over to him and just fixed his collar for him just to make sure that he was looking right. And like for me, that's what softness looks like, yeah. right? Just just these small, tender moments of just saying, look, I see you and I want to make sure that you see yourself and that you go out into this world being the best you, you possibly can be. And something as small as fixing his brother's collar. So like moments like that is what softness means and what softness looks like to me. It's interesting because coming from Sudan, men back home mm -hmm. hold hands. Mm -hmm. Here if two men held hands, it's like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. um, they kiss. Mm -hmm. Like, they kiss hello, they kiss goodbye, sons kiss their fathers. Um, it's not seen as something 
different. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it. we have... They, there's tons of other issues. It's a homophobic mm-hmm. culture. They have tons of other issues that they need to deal with and right, bring right. to light and mm-hmm. resolve. Um, but here, fast forward here, that's supposed to be... We're supposed to be some sort of progressive culture. Um, we know we're not. Mm-hmm. We know that there's major issues in this country everywhere. A mind blown every day. Um, but that fix the collar, mm-hmm. that softness, is that all men? Is that black men? Mm-hmm. Are black men harder? Do you see that? Do you feel that being a black man? Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I just look at um, historically, uh, one, how we were brought over here and just our journey in terms of having to be like the buck, right? Like having to be this strong individual, this strong man, um, that now there's this kind of like deep-rooted thing that's now we just been conditioned to. And I also think about just in terms of um, black women as well and uh, like the angry black woman, yeah. right? Like always mad. Um, in terms of what like outsiders think, um, and 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 for me, I as a writer, um, wanting to be able to like uh, conceptualize these things and like bring them to light. I think about um, with my play Fireflies, and we were in a designer run, and like that's when you show it for like all of the designers and for like the artistic staff of the theater, and you get your uh, like notes. Um, and so my director and I, we met with the um, artistic director and absolutely amazing man um, who I think is super dope, super cool. I remember uh, after the designer run, um, he mentioned that the main character, um, Olivia, uh, during this designer run, she was um, very emotional. Mm-hmm. and he was alluding to wondering what it would be like if she was stronger, if she didn't show her emotion so much so that we as the audience felt, oh, this is such a grave thing that's happening to her, but she's still powering through. And I was like, absolutely not. We're not going to put out this image, this idea of a strong black woman. Mm. She's going to be able to exist in her fullness and in her emotions. And like, that's the thing that I talk about how like we've just been so conditioned um, to believe that we're supposed to exist a certain way because we've been seen a certain way. And like, what does that look like? Because I very, that was my second production um, off Broadway. And I could have very much been like, you know what? Yes, I hear you. I agree. I could have took that note, but absolutely not. Like being able to stand up for ourselves. And I'll admit like the Danye five years ago probably wouldn't have said a single thing at all, right? And that's not me saying that, oh, I have it all together. I can speak up to anybody and everybody about everything. Absolutely not. But it's being able to like find those moments Mm -hmm. and knowing like when you need to speak. I'm like, we are not going to put that image out there whatsoever, right? So just thinking about your question in terms of um, black man, always being like looked at as hard and not being able to be looked at as soft. I, th- I, I think of like my black sisters as well, um, mm-hmm. who also aren't afforded um, the space to be soft. Um, yeah. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. I really do. Um, Mike, 
I also have, and I'm not really even sure how to articulate this question, but when I look at your work, I see it as a fight to be who you want to be, mm-hmm. right? As a black man, especially. Mm-hmm. Like, I think your narrative is very, mm-hmm. you know, personal to your story. Um, I want to talk more about the... I I don't want our our audience to be confused with the different with with softness mm-hmm. and it needing to be queer. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have two boys. Mm-hmm. I want them to be vulnerable and everything mm-hmm. that you said. I want them to be able to show and express emotion, and then I want the world to give them the privilege that they give white women and white men have mm-hmm. to be able to express their emotions and react to certain situations like a human would. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to mess up your message in any way or what you're trying to get done. But I do want to talk about that softness as it relates to all of us and all of our men mm-hmm. and um, how important that is to communicate with that. Because when I see it online, when I see it on mm-hmm. Facebook, when I see comments and I see people saying like, we need to be more vulnerable, we need to be soft. Mm-hmm. Our own community is having a discussion, is having an argument about emasculating our men mm-hmm. and thinking that queer culture or all this conversation about becoming soft is emasculating our men. And within us, that's divisive. Mm -hmm. And I think it's unhealthy. I can't promote people to go back to a continent that isn't going to be accepting of Mm -hmm. them. We need to educate this this diaspora so that when we go to the continent, we can open the continent to all of us Mm -hmm. in all of our different shapes and forms and beauty and all of our contributions. So... This is an interestingly difficult conversation for me to have mm. because I want to talk about it, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's so big. Yeah, it's it's enormous, and like I I will say, it took me some time to really understand the fullness of what softness means mm-hmm. because I found myself being trapped in uh, the like ignorant thinking that softness meant queerness, mm-hmm. and I had to understand. It does not mean that whatsoever. What it means is just being able to exist in your emotions and being able to show those emotions. One of the most dangerous things, uh, one of the most dangerous thing rather that I was told uh, growing up um, was to man up. And it was yeah. it was one of those things where um, being a little boy, if somebody hurt my feelings um, and if I would cry, I would have to man up. So it's saying to me, that if you are hurt, if you want to cry as someone who identifies as a man, you are not able to do that. You have to bottle all those things up. And what happens when you bottle up your emotions? Like you start to become mentally ill because you have no way of letting it out. You start to become angry and you can start to become violent. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I. it took me a long time to understand and to realize that that's dangerous. And that this idea of manning up is ex- incredibly toxic. And like, I don't want to exist in that space. And I remember when I shared my truth of being queer with uh, my dad. Um, after that, I never heard him say man up again. Like he started to realize and, he, and like, not just with me, but with my brothers, with my cousins, I've never heard him say that term Um ever after that and I started to see him um, become softer. I started to see him be able to like open up and to be able to express his emotions. Um, And 
when I say expressing emotions, it's not just being able to cry. It's being able to like laugh as well, mm-hmm. right? Being able to like see that and show that. And you were talking about um, uh, back home, men holding hands, right? I was talking about these like two brothers, one just fixing this other guy's like collar. Like it's these little moments. It doesn't have to be a big boo-hoo. We all like wailing and crying it, it can look like something as small as a holding of the hand it can be something as small as i see you keep your head up right like that's a moment of being soft as well and how like necessary that is yeah and absolutely necessary for us to reconnect with each other yeah like if we are going to do this have a movement you know like people, we need connection yeah, like we can't we exist without it i like that people have started saying good morning in the morning i think that's really really nice did you notice that and like all the brothers, when I walk by, and I'm like, "Hey, queen!" And I'm like, "Oh, stop Come it! Through. Yeah. Come through! Come make my day! Love yeah. it! Love it!" But I love the idea of that, and I love the idea of us like coming together, um, and talking about the idea of softness in men and women, mm-hmm. like you said. Um, any emotion I think coming from a person of color is deemed as angry. Like mm. there's very few. You're either weak, and therefore we can destroy you. Or you're angry. That's mm-hmm. the only two ways they read us. It's either kill it or, you know, put it in a pen. But I can't understand it mm-hmm. or I can't take the time to comprehend or understand it. During the break, we were talking about some interesting things. And we have Carice, our producer who lives out in L.A. with us. We got Dougie, as always, and Josh, as always, on the mic. Um, And we were having some great conversation on the value of introducing softness into our vernacular, Mm -hmm. um, into our behavior, um, and into raising our children Mm -hmm. and making sure that they have what we may or may not have had um, coming up. So I just wanted to open the conversation up to the room um, and see if anybody had anything to say. You talked about so many things, you know what I mean? So many, so many uh, powerful things. And one of the, the things that comes to mind is thinking about this idea of bottling things up, right? Mm-hmm. And what that means and what that can do for you. I can say 100% fact that therapy was one of the things that saved my life. Mm. Um, I grew up in a culture where I was told to not express myself. And, and, and sometimes being sort of you know the 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 person who was tough and who who wasn't soft and not emotional i guess in my environment seemingly was a part of me getting by or saving my life just the same but the opposite of that was me also holding those things in and 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 that made me such an angry violent mm. person i was a truly violent person and um, and it wasn't until therapy, until I was forced into it, and then I made the choice on my own later after being forced into it, uh, where I realized how much of that anger, how much of what I thought what being a man was, mm-hmm. actually was just being a reckless human being. Mm. And so I just wanted to sort of bring up and, and talk about, maybe anybody can to really respond to it, it's just like what, you know, what are the... Th- bottling things up like what does that do for us like you know what i mean and 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 how how can we you know use that as something that can sort of help us 
get beyond this notion that, you know, there is a problem with um, being emotional and, and sharing our emotions and, and really letting it, how we're feeling be known. Um, this may sound extreme, but I wholeheartedly believe it. Um, I think if we bottle things up, that will result in some form of death, whether that is physical death, whether that is mental death, emotional death, uh, spiritual death, there will be some form of death that takes place. Um, and I am a firm believer of being able to like express and to talk things through and to be able to like have a community um, to have these conversations with and like whatever that community looks like to you, whether like I, I love, it feels like more and more um, as a, um, a community of, of black folks, we're getting into a space to not just have conversations about therapy and going to therapy, but actually like literally going to therapy, having therapists and not being afraid to have those conversations. Cause I remember once upon a time it was, mm -hmm. oh, you crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm not crazy. I don't need to go to therapy. I'm not crazy. But like now people are actually actively looking for therapists and being in therapy and like navigating through the traumas um, that we've endured um, in life. And so I think to answer your question, uh, like bottling things up can result in some form of death. And we need to have these conversations. If it's with uh, an experienced licensed individual um, or whether it's with a partner, whether it's with a friend, like having a conversation with someone. I know for me, um, I'm currently actively looking for um, a therapist before um, I've, I've gotten to the space of like looking for a therapist, I'm very vocal um, and I'm, I try to be as open as I possibly can on my social media platforms of just like sharing like what I've been going through, where I'm at, my journey and my story. And for me, that's therapy, that's therapeutic. And that's me having a conversation and holding space for myself. And since it's social media, hopefully holding space for other people as well to engage in conversation, to be able to express whether it's directly on a post or a lot of people will like privately message me to like share and talk or whatever those things may be. Can I just say one more thing, mm -hmm. you know, with Danye, uh, and this is pretty amazing. You know, we've known each other for a while now. Yeah. And, um, he, you know, he's one of those people who, you know, truly is about making sure that the things that probably that's in your work and the things that you sort of talk about are things that you implement because he's one of the few people almost every, you know, every at least every six months or so will send me a text checking in and asking me, you know, how I am, how I'm feeling, you know what I mean? Like, what are some highs? What are some lows? Just there's very specific words that he uses, but um, I, there's nobody else in my life who, who does that. And I get an opportunity to really sit down and reflect and think about things that I may or may not be thinking about at that time. And so, um, and, and it is very meaningful and very useful. And, and I know that you do that with several other people as well. And, and we get a chance to do that with you too. So, mm -hmm. you know, just thank you for not only your work, but for practicing what you preach and making sure that you really sort of check in and, and, and love on us as, as people. Yeah. Thank, thank you. I, I, can I just say something oh, about great. that really quickly? Yeah. Um, I remember, so the, the, the questions are, um, how's your heart? How's your mind? How's your body and how's your spirit? And I remember it was back in 2011 or maybe 2012. Um, I've suffered uh, from uh, severe depression 
Um, and I've had, uh, thank God, multiple failed suicide attempts. And I remember when I was going through a serious bout of depression, um, this was, like I said, either 2011, 2012, before I understood what it meant to be soft with myself, before I understood the power of talking and opening up, um, a friend of mine sent a text to me, and it was literally just those three questions. How was my heart? How was my mind? How was my body? And how was my spirit? And it made me do what you said, Carice, of just like reflect. And it allowed me to share with somebody like how how I was feeling. Um, and what that did for me, how that shifted me. And I think that was one of the things while I'm still here right now, um, I said, I want to be able to um, hopefully give other people space to reflect and to share as well. But yeah. That's beautiful. I really like your fix it too, the sharing and actually that's the connection that I think is beautiful. It's like, yeah, I, I do believe that, you know, the people that have experienced the most trauma on the planet are in need of therapy and mm -hmm. professional help to, you know, get past this. Um, in addition to that, we as a community need to be a safer space for each mm -hmm. other to communicate mm -hmm. that softness, to mm -hmm. say things like, wow, that hurt my feelings, or I'm sad, because mm -hmm. we're all going through it, mm -hmm. and constantly. And I, if I just even think about, like, how fucked up a day could be, just like walking out in gentrified Brooklyn, from the time like you go to drop off your kids to the time you get home of like all the like backhanded and what did they that's the word that they had for that that like yeah all the microaggressions thank you that they've just another word for like fucked up white people shit very that yeah it's just like this what they don't want to say so it's like you go through that all day long and Forget the big stuff. Forget the fact that you live where you live because or you didn't get that job because or because people getting killed in your family because. Mm -hmm. Forget the big stuff. And we aren't allowed to talk about it. And if you ever let it bottle up, what the problem is, you said the bottle up, the violent. Violence comes in very several different degrees. Mm -hmm. I've been angry black woman all my fucking life just because I try to stand up for myself or somebody else. Or because uh, I cry, text people or I'm hurt. That really, like, so that them. fix but of giving it to each other because no one else is going to give like, it to us. Um, for the first time, uh, I've gone to therapists who are brown yeah, and like, white and whatever. It's hard to necessarily for me find the um, perfect perspective because you're always either explaining where you're from or where your story, but the important part <laughs> is to speak on it. And to speak it into the universe and to say that was fucked up, yeah. like say it out loud and you need to have those space, safe spaces. So I would encourage everybody to make sure that they're the Danye for Carice for somebody in their life and to be that person that that person can talk to, because I think that's absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. And to see that relationship between two black men mm -hmm. um, gives me hope for my two little boys that hopefully they have that relationship. And thank you all for that. Thank you for that. Anybody else? Yeah, I was just going to say sort of like to piggyback on this whole conversation is just um, I think a lot of the like, for example, when you were talking about when Chris was talking about, you know, the bottling up and, the, you know, you said you're feeling violent. Like, I've always felt like that is by design. Like, you know, it's almost like a American like America society's like self-fulfilling prophecy. Like 
you know, they told us we weren't human. They and they told us that we couldn't have emotions or feelings. And what's the result of that? We end up bottling up our feelings and being the exact violent, you know, or you know, we end up being the people that they believe us to be. And and to sort of to segue that into a question that I actually have for you. Um, is do you think if American culture like uh, accepts uh, cisgender like straight black men um, with as having like a full range of emotions and being actual human beings who could be vulnerable, do you think that that would have a trickle down effect in straight black men treating our non cisgender, non straight black men better? Mm. Um, yes, and um, so I often think about uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, who um, once said that until I'm free, nobody is free. So, right, so I think about, like, black women. I think about black trans women. I think about black trans, HIV-positive, disabled-bodied women. I think about the most marginalized of the most marginalized of folks. And until these individuals are free, I don't think none of us will ever be free. So yes, I do believe that like black cisgender straight men um, have a lot of work to do um, on, on their selves and then on the community as well. And that will make a difference, but we will not see the most substantial, meaningful, necessary difference until the most marginalized of the most marginalized of the most marginalized of the most marginalized of the most marginalized, of the most marginalized individual gets free until they experience the beauty and the love that they deserve. So I think that is the foundation first and foremost, then everything else and everyone else above will be able to exist in a freer, better space. But yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful. Yes, that is. That's a beautiful way to work. That's real. Yeah, from the bottom up. Yeah, the bottom up. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you're already elevated, yes, some people will think about the individuals beneath. But for the most part, you're like, oh, I'm good. I'm already in this space. And you really aren't thinking about the individuals below. But the individuals below, once we start thinking about like that foundation, then that's when we really will see this trickle effect. Yeah, no, it's true. Because it's like, if it's okay to be this. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. love that. Like within themselves or overall. Mm-hmm. Um, Just walk up to somebody and fix their collar. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like it is. Uh, e- even though, like you were uh, saying that jokingly, but it was serious attached to it. Um, I do think it is, it really is in those like little things, right? And you were saying like now you've noticed people just like saying good morning, right? And like literally that can literally shift somebody's day, right? Like saying good morning or just like saying hi. Um, and I, I laugh at this because, um, my husband is like really making me work at this. I am, I've been somebody who has like always been in their phone. Like this was my best friend at a certain point. Right. And just like thinking about um, like what that can do and how that can make someone else feel if you're holding space with them. Right. Is this more important than you? 
Absolutely not, right? So I think it's like those little things of like saying good morning, saying hi, looking somebody in the eye. Literally, Erica Badu made a whole song about it. Put that phone down. Like, just put it down for a minute, right? And just like hold space with somebody. So I think like those little things are what softness looks like. It, it, it doesn't always look like the big thing of like the boo-hoo crying or like the like belly curtain laughter. That's softness as well. But it's also just like saying hi, mm -hmm. fixing a collar, like giving a hug. Um, that hat, which I actually have been peeping, is bomb, right? Like those little things are like moments of softness. Um, but I think like that's how like we can start. And it doesn't always have to be the big thing that we jump straight into. It can be these little things that we're kind of pushing ourselves towards the bigger thing. Yeah. I think we have it as a people and we have moments of beauty of it, mm -hmm. of like the head nod mm -hmm. or like, you know, the eye connect, the head nod eye connection, the hey sis, when you enter a room mm -hmm. and you know you're the only one that make us feel good. And if we can just continue to encourage that, but also continue support and promote men when they show softness, mm -hmm. like be proud yeah. of it, be happy about it. Um, I think that's really important to let them know that, like, yeah, they can actually laugh and hug in public and the whole room doesn't have to be like, what are they doing? Yeah, what's oh. going on? Or their boys don't have to get on them for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And can I share like two quick, yeah. quick stories um, that has like softness at the foundation of it? Um, one involves me. And so this was a few days ago. Um, I was going to get an iced coffee and I was standing in line. Um, at this place getting this uh, iced coffee and a homeless guy came in. Uh, he asked me, could I get him uh, something to eat? And so I said, yeah, I got him something to eat. And I could see the people around me. Um, and this could be me projecting. I don't think it is. I think <laughs> I was doing a good job of like reading the people around me. Um, okay, I, I, I could feel that they thought that this guy was getting over on me and that I was allowing this homeless man to get over on me. And um, we got up to uh, the counter. I ordered what um, I wanted. I let him speak to order what like he wanted. And I could feel that the cashiers were thinking, you really gonna like get this guy like a meal? Like you really gonna let him like get over on you like this? And then it also feels like this homeless guy may frequent this spot um and so they may have like seen him a few times and so i say all that to say i started thinking about like all of those things of like how like what do these people think of me mm -hmm. right of me just literally seeing this human being who wanted who needed something to eat and i'm like doing what i can to help him get something to eat but all i started thinking about at a certain point was how do these people perceive me now like what do they think about me now and then at the end of the exchange the homeless uh, guy and i we hugged and um, I could, I saw, I literally saw people's faces of like, ooh, he's gonna let this like homeless guy hug him. And I just started to think about like now, opposed to this act that I just did um, with this guy, I just started to think about everybody else and like now how they perceived me in this moment of softness. And so I share that to say of like, this is still me actively, I talk about softness, but this is still me actively trying to get to the softest place I can. Cause I would love to, I would have loved to like in that moment, not even think about what these mm -hmm. people are thinking about me in this moment. It was literally just between this guy and I and not anyone else. So I think about that in terms of how I'm still actively trying to get to whatever that softest place for Danye looks like. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to share, um, it was a story I heard 
of um uh this uh this 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 guy who I know he was on uh, the train um black guy and this uh large black guy got on the train just going off like yelling at the top of his lungs cursing at the top of his lungs and so like the train that was pretty full got super quiet because like what is this like big black guy yeah. going to do is he going to like come up to me what's about to happen is it about to pop off and uh the guy who i know he after the loud rowdy black guy got on the train um that guy sat down and so the guy who i know went over to him he walked up to him extended his hand said hey i'm such and such and then a guy who walked on the train really like loud and rowdy um extended his hand and they shook hands and when their hands touched this belligerent guy started breaking down crying mm -hmm. saying i'm just so upset right now i'm so hurt right now and literally it's like those moments of just seeing this guy just wanted connection mm -hmm. from somebody right and i think about like me and I don't know if in that moment I would have went up to that guy and would have like extended my hand to give connection. Like I want to get to that level of softness and of connection, but just thinking about like the different layers and levels of like what it looks like and what it means and how like with that story in particular, it just makes me think about at the end of the day, you were talking about this of we just want connection. Mm -hmm. Like we just want to be in a space with somebody who sees us who understands us as much as possible and who acknowledges that we matter and that we exist. And that's what that man wanted in that moment. Yeah. Everyone else saw this belligerent, angry black man that could hurt you. But this, this brother saw somebody who just needed connection. Yeah. yeah. And we can give that to us. Yeah. You know, that's not something we need anyone else for. Yeah. It's beautiful. Because who better than us? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's our show. Biggest thank you to our dope guest, Danielle R. Love. Thank you, Danielle. All the links and handles you need are available in the show notes and on thebrownceo.com. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, The Brown Crayon Project, and to our family here at the Brooklyn Podcasting Studio. We want to hear from you. Keep the conversation going. Tell us what you think. Talk to us on Twitter at The Brown CEO. Subscribe and review our podcast on iTunes or go to thebrownceo.com.